In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders, a new series on the Voice America Business Network. My name is Kimberly Lewis, your host, and I am passionate about good leadership. And that is why I'll be joining you each week with international leadership experts from around the world. My 20 years C-level management experience across multiple industries and in over 18 countries has taught me that the biggest asset a company has is its people. And people need good leadership, don't they? What do you think? But good leadership is not easy to come by in a global economy that is constantly changing. Managing a dynamic and diverse workforce that is affected by changing social, political, and regulatory norms poses a challenge even to the best leaders. In this series, we'll talk about the impact constant change has on our organizations and examine the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. We'll talk about everything from gender balance in leadership to generational and cultural business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. We want to provoke you and make you think. If you are in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or for yourself. So with all that said, I want to kick things off. And today's first in the series, we're going to start to talk about why diversity matters. And did you realize that women make up 50% of the today's workforce and cultural integration in some areas like Europe have reached mixes of up to 70% through the mixed nationalities that make up the European Union? Even in the United States, it's hard to find an organization with less than a 10% cultural mix, and many have up to a 50% gender mix, if not more. But unfortunately, neither of these statistics reflect the percentage mix in executive management. Now, we all know in our hearts that diversity matters, don't we? But did you know there are also studies that prove it contributes to the bottom line? A McKinsey study from 2015 looked at a mix of worldwide companies, and the study proved that companies practicing gender diversity have a 15% more chance of outperforming their competitors, and those practicing ethnic diversity have a 35% chance of outperforming their competitors. So let me ask you, if these results are true, then diversity is a no-brainer, right? Well, I can tell you one thing. This is a subject that gets me really riled up because when you look at the financial numbers I just quoted, it makes perfect business sense to practice diversity. I personally think that any leader that does not practice diversity should be fired because they're doing a complete disservice to their companies and their shareholders, not to mention the social consequences, the examples they are not setting. And we are led by example, aren't we? But we don't have a lot of good examples of diversity, do we? As of 2016, our Fortune 500 companies had only about 4.2% gender diversity among their CEOs. Oh, and that's not 4.2% men. 
And when we look at ethnicity among CEOs, the number is worse. There's less than 1%. Now, you can talk and argue about this, and you can give the statistics, but I think it's about time for me now to introduce my first guest. Now, my guest today is Elizabeth Rodriguez Dennehy, author of Can You Afford to Ignore Me? How to Manage Gender and Cultural Differences at Work. Elizabeth is from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and resides in Pittsburgh. Elizabeth is a diversity expert with more than 15 years of experience helping leaders understand how to promote inclusion in organizations. Elizabeth holds a master's in psychology and a juris doctor from the University of Puerto Rico, as well as a master's in international affairs from the Fletcher School of Law at Tufts. Lots of schooling, Elizabeth. She also, well, she also conducts uh, she also conducts uh, programs for University of Pittsburgh in Sao Paulo, and she serves as lead faculty for the Women's Executive Leadership Program sponsored by Baird Institute at Duquesne University. Elizabeth owns. Rodriguez and Associates LLC, whose mission is to enhance performance through promoting gender and cultural integration in organization. Elizabeth works primarily with Fortune 500 companies. And besides all that, Elizabeth's a pretty cool person. We've met occasionally at very various diversity events, right, Elizabeth, in in Europe? We have, we have. Yeah, so welcome to the show. And uh, before I start with the questions, I just want to say that, you know, our show is truly international. You're sitting, um, you're from Puerto Rico, you're sitting in Pittsburgh, and I'm sitting in Dusseldorf. And I'd like to tell our listeners, if they want to reach us or send us emails, they can send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and elizabeth at erodriguezd at comcast.net. So, once again, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. This is great and truly an international event, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it really is. It really is. Thrilled so, to be uh, here. Yeah, great. So let me let me uh, start out with just the, the simple question, Elizabeth. Why does diversity matter? Diversity matters. And obviously you and I concur with our sentiment, but here's a business proposition. Diversity matters because it yields optimum business results. If we flip it, in other words, it keeps us away from poor business decisions. And I'm going to give you some data. Um, The one you mentioned is great, but let's talk about business scenarios that are really a high yield um, factor to say, well, why is it that I should care about this? Let's talk about innovation, collective intelligence. Let's talk about productivity. And what we find in terms of uh, the, the hard data, the research we have, is that when teams uh, work together and they have a 50-50 gender balance, the psychology safety, that their, their capacity to speak up, the, the capacity to experiment and efficiency increases 60% in terms of performance. In terms of self-confidence, when we have 60 to 40% um, advantage, we have a peak, you, we spike in terms of a capacity for people to feel confident in sharing information. And in terms of the collective IQ, we find that women bring into this mix an upsurge of what we call collective intelligence, which implies people feel freer to speak up and share ideas. So. 
from the perspective of performance, it is, as you said, a no-brainer. Uh, mm -hmm. Another element, I just found this great research, Kimberly, um, and it's from Harvard, 2016. How do we, uh, you know, measure in terms of problem solving? Uh, is there any link? And there is a direct link. The groups that are not homogeneous, where, in which you have diverse talent involved, double their chances of arriving at correct solutions from 29% to 60%. Wow. And research found that individuals who were part of diverse teams were 58 more likely to price stocks correctly, whereas homogeneous groups were prone to pricing errors. So this data is so substantial, so strong, it speaks for itself, don't you think? Yes, I think so. But I guess this is amazing. And um, I know that we both watch a lot of the data coming in and we both watch a lot of trends. But I, I'd like to just, uh, when, I, when I look at this data and I, and I think about what's actually happening in the workplace, um, there, it doesn't seem to go together. Okay. And, right. uh, and I'm wondering about why. Is there, are there misconceptions out there? I think in your book, you talk about three historical misconceptions concerning gender diversity. Like these conceptions holding us back because the data certainly says, let's go forward, but something is holding us back. Absolutely. And then as I, I pointed out when I started to write the book, I said to myself, what do I need to offer the reader, particularly the person who's managing a group or the organization as some standards for them to look into in terms of mindset. What is my mindset, my decision-making process? How is it that my stereotypes play in? And there are three. The, the perception that women are, are the weaker sex and, and in the context of weak, meaning she's not as aggressive, she's not as pushy, she, she's great, but she is so, a little bit too soft. Um, Perhaps she doesn't have, you know, what it takes. Uh, ironically, when you look at attributes for 21st century leadership, the attributes women bring, collaboration, empathy, speaking to the group, creating the we um, environment versus the I, are precisely the attributes everybody should have. So food for thought. Number two, women are not as ambitious as men. And... So the lack of, of ambition is an interesting paradigm because it's not that women are not ambitious. It's that women have a really hard time reconciling the mm -hmm. fact that when they ask too much or they become come through very resourceful or maybe the word aggressive, they're, they're sort of looked at a non-traditional women and many times it's a pushback. We call that a double bind. And so... Um, Lacking ambition is not the issue. It's helping women craft a vocabulary and a spirit to say, how do I want more? And companies to understand, you have to start to listen. And the third one, women can get paid less than men. And so the lack of pay parity makes absolutely no sense. I always say, you're asking someone to be women, to be twice as good 
And then you want to pay that person 33% less average to the dollar of her peer. And when you think about that intrinsically, isn't that something that would incentivize anyone? It would make everybody feel, well, why should I try harder if the truth is I'm not value the same? Let, let me just let me just stay on this ambitious uh, ambitiousness for a minute here because it's kind of like the the cart and the horse, isn't it? I'm, I mean, we have to be also have the opportunity. Um, I do believe also that sometimes we stand in our own way, okay, when it comes to things, um, and that possibly is because we've been brought up um, not to be as aggressive and and not to move forward. But on the other hand, what comes first? I mean, the opportunity or ambition, it's the cart or the horse. And that's exactly the point. This is a, a really good question, Kimberly. So how do you unravel this one? If you as a manager understand actually men or women, because that's going to be another program because women and women um, really need to learn how to work together. But if you, if you unravel and you become aware that that is a misconception that is systemic, as a manager, you push forward to have a conversation such as, uh, Jane, what is the next thing that you're really thinking about? How can I help you go into that place? You are an extraordinary um, engineer. How do I make all this talent that I really know exists be known to the organization? So as a manager, if you really want to move this needle forward, it's simple. It's really understanding you want to be the one that opens up those dialogues Typically, women are so pleasantly surprised and, and, and so ready to jump in, right? So the, I think the, the, we can now say we can put the horse in front of the cart, <laughs> make sure that the horse is driving forward and that the horse is that manager that's committed to have this dialogue. But we still we still have to try to um, kind of bite the bullet ourselves, get a little bravery in ourselves. Oh, um, that's that's a part of the work that I do, right? So, so yeah. the part of the work that I do is how do I help women reframe their behavior, not change? Women are not broken. What they need to understand is how is it that they're going to uh, speak in a little different way, think through my future. So one of the questions I ask them when I'm working with them is what do you want next? And unfortunately, to your comment, most of them don't have an answer for me. And I said, we're going to have an answer after we're done as to what do you want next? What will be the possibilities of what you want next moving forward? So, so again, you're absolutely right. If we don't cry, we don't eat, right? If I don't push forward, I don't get an opportunity. But the problem has been many women have pushed forward to be told, and this is a quote from a scenario I ran into, she's great. But I think she still needs to stay in a collaborative role. Mm-hmm. And, and she's done everything possible, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are the moments in which we really have to start to self-regulate as a manager, again, a man or a woman, to say, is, am I putting this out there? Is she really ready? I think she is, right? So, so women have to ask, and the environment needs to start to become more aware that we need to allow for those conversations to surface. 
And I think when we look at the other example that you gave on the on the pay gap, so that that's one of the things I hear a lot in my practice is also you know, well nobody asked for a raise, okay? So so we have we have the structure out there that has been built around lower pay, but then right. on the other hand, we're also not going after that as mm-hmm. as as we should as a woman. Mm-hmm. Okay, You're, yeah, again. On the on the spot, absolutely correct. And here are two things. One, negotiation is one of the most difficult uh, behaviors that women uh, sort of get into because it's very close to the feeling of conflict. And so typically there is an adversity to conflict because we want to be nice and collaborate. So when, when you negotiate, and here's the irony, and you know you've seen this, women will be the best negotiators for others. For their peers, for their friends, for the, they go and they get it. And then the moment in which they have to negotiate for self, it starts to become really hard. So one of the things that we need to do is really start to challenge that mindset, learn how to negotiate, be exposed to scenarios in which we push ourselves just a little bit and move forward. It's a muscle you develop. And after it's developed, it's really natural to you. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, I agree with you. We have to do a lot, but we also need some support. And then yeah. I look at th- things that are happening, the political trends are happening, um, such as revoking the Fair Play Act. Um, these do have an impact on our conscience. So what, what I'd like to do, Elizabeth, um, before we, I'd like to come back to this after the break, because we're going to, we're going to be taking a break in a minute. And when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, legislation around the wage gap and the Fair Play Act that has been revoked and what that's done to us. And then I'd like to move into a little bit more about gender diversity and cultural and ethnical diversity, because, uh, I mean, cultural and ethnical diversity, rather than gender, because um, these are inclusive subjects also. So to our listeners, if you have any comments for us, um, you can once again reach me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com and elizabeth at erodriguezd at comcast.net. So we'll see you after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Having a lawyer in your court is always a good idea. Each week, Wagner and Winnick on the Law helps you sort out the legal issues and questions in a forum with judges, lawyers, and policy experts answering your questions and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's exciting new series on the Business Network. In this series, we look at the future of leadership in today's constantly changing global economy. I am your host, Kimberly Lewis, a seasoned executive and leadership expert. And today we are talking with Elizabeth Rodriguez Dennehy, the author of Can You Afford to Ignore Me? How to Manage Gender and Cultural Differences at Work. We're talking about why diversity matters. And um, before I get too excited about this subject, Elizabeth, I'd like to continue our conversation that we were started before the break. And I'd like to ask you a question about this wage gap. You're a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we, we, in 1963, um, we had the Equal Pay Act of 1963. But do you think it has had impact on the wage gap? Not at all. And, and, and here's, here's what I always say, and that's part of the, the one of the reasons why law, I love the, the legal profession, but not practicing because it's a bit frustrating. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So you legislate, you create the law, but unless you create enforcement, implementation, unless you work on making sure that the, the whole experience of the, the people involved in the, in the process, um, it's not taken well into account. It's, it's a problem. And, and so 1963 was a great piece of legislation. It lost its capacity to be implemented. And today you and I are suffering those consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then again, I, want, I just want to come back to probably my little pet peeve here, um, the revoking of the Fair Play Act. Um, do you have any comments concerning that? You know, the... It happened, it continues. So here's the dilemma that you and I face. You and I face a dilemma of knowing what's the right path and going forward and seeing these things happening that push our, we feel our work, you know, a little Against bit us. backward, right? So that, mm-hmm. that duality is your life and mine. So mm-hmm. what we have to understand and what we have to sort of, um, sort of uh, accept is the following. Things are not going to continue as we wish, and things are not going to go forward as we would desire them to be. That said, we have to be persistent. So legislation, right now we're going through a lot of things here in the U.S. in which it feels like you're in the prehistoric times in terms of gender. And Mm -hmm. so one of the problems we're finding is this is a reconfiguration of perceptions again. It's not um, the ideal scenario, but at the same time we're getting more opportunities to speak up and more opportunities to push back. Social media is helping us with that. Okay, good. So at that, let's talk a little bit about cultural and ethnical diversity. Um, In your book, you talk about balanced teams. Now, how do you define a balanced team? 
Well, a balanced team is a, a team in which you have uh, typically the number is the four, four, sixty, fifty, fifty of any category that is non-white European with the either gender, both ethnicity. The idea is, and what science has found, is that when we have at least 40-60, we find that the capacity for the team to execute becomes uh, peaked. It's, it's a, what's called extraordinary in terms of results. When it is homogeneous, the decision-making process is poor. Mm-hmm. So balanced teams are teams in which we have a participatory environment in which the the word homogeneous is gone, right? Mm-hmm. No longer. Yeah. And, and when we think about the population changes, and you you touch in that in your book, um, the U.S. population, the U.S. white population has changed from 82 percent of the workforce in 1980 and is predicted predicted to be 63 percent in 2020. And this is with a steady increase of minorities, not just African-Americans, Hispanics, Asian and Native American, but also a quite a new global mix so we see these shifts in society, but we're not seeing these shifts in the teams, or at least I'm not, okay? So what what are you seeing in your work? Um, are people recognizing these social shifts, and, and are they trying to mirror them within the companies, or are we not that far yet? No, we're not that far yet. Kimberly, mm-hmm. it's really, it's a little bit frustrating again. It's here's the parent, it's very interesting. If you look at every website, every in every company, either you know Fortune 500, middle class, middle size, small company, everybody's talking about diversity and inclusion. And then when you go in and you say, "Show me the numbers," they're they're really not there, or they're it's a very just you know it's an apparent uh, it looks good type of thing, uh, of scenario. So the reality, and that's why the work that I'm doing that you're doing continues to be significantly important is because we're trying to help the, the organizations look at this with urgency. The, the, the population has changed. And unless you start to, to make this possible, this transfer possible, you're going to lose on the, your competitive advantage. One of the beautiful things about the IBM case study, it's a case study that was published years ago, is precisely that the the CEO at the time said, there's too many white guys with black ties in this room. There's something intrinsically wrong because the, the world, the population at that time, he could see it, is changing. And mm-hmm. for them, it was a complete, incredible shift between where they were in terms of business opportunities to where they, they were able to get, including Categories such as disability, one of the big aha moments for them was the fact that, you know, disability offers the opportunity to create voice recognition technology. And that was a huge and incredible opportunity for them to say, look how much we can improve the bottom line and and be of service to society as well. So it's also that win-win. So the answer is companies are not in that place of what I call urgency. The mm-hmm. reality is knocking on their doors and 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 typically, you know, really we get concerned. I get concerned that many companies are gonna lose on their competitive advantage. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we talk about urgency, but you're also talking in your book about short-term and long-term orientation. And and when we're having this discussion, I'm not even seeing short-term orientation, never mind long-term orientation. And you also talk about high and low tolerance and what kind of behavior changes need to take place in the short-term and the long-term. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, so we're talking about our capacity to really um, be, and let's use the word inclusive, right? What is our capacity? Because one of the interesting things about tolerance, the really good word, important word, but it, it, it's almost like I have to. When I tolerate some things, I have to, right? And, mm-hmm. and what inclusion is about is I want to. So, so the, what we need to think about is what can be done to help people understand that even though here's the beauty of this process, even though I'm uncomfortable, and even though this is new to me, and even though I feel a bit apprehensive with you in front of me, I want to listen to you. And so in our work, what we help people understand is the wanting to be a good listener, the wanting to be more receptive, the wanting to challenge your internal paradigm to say, hey, listen, this old model is not working, and the reality is what I have in front of me, right? And so how do we help them shift the, the, the internal dialogue? And that's through the work you do in leadership, work I do, that help people understand self-awareness, their capacity to have that internal dialogue, and, and with that, create that sense of tolerance and or inclusion. But when I look at things, we've ha- we've tried to help companies shift. Okay, we have we have the work you and I do. Um, but then we've also we've also had uh, legislative issues. Okay, and I look at I I look at affirmative action, for example. Okay, um, you know, affirmative action is quite old. And do you think this has helped at all, or has it prepared us for any kind of cultural shift in the workplace? Because it seems to kind of be forgotten. Um, it's it's the the underpinning, sort of like the background noise, right, that permeates around all these conversations. But affirmative action, which is a a a a, a tool to make things happen. At, it, at the time, it was a, a mechanism to, to shift, right? To create the shift. But when, when it gets into that place in which is I have to, which is compliance, and not I want to, then you have, including those reverse discrimination cases that have become quite common right now. So affirmative um, action it was very timely for the time, for the moment. I think we need to take that that context and put it in reality and say, I can make people do things. I can legislate to make sure certain things are in place, which is important. But, but culturally, in terms of if I want to create inclusion, I have to help people understand I want it, right? And so affirmative action had a very powerful moment and it's a very good context because it's a minimum. It's a minimum bar. It's, it's I, I cannot break the law, right? But from there, we have a lot to move forward into that place of, and I want to be with you, right? But do you do you really? Let me stay on that for a minute and ask you. Um, it seems like it pushed the envelope, okay? But but when you come back to wanting inclusion, do you really think we can teach people tolerance or teach people to want inclusion? I mean, what what's going to 
make them move themselves? What's going to have that organic movement to, to bring people to embrace inclusion? Well, let me tell you from the experience I've seen in the room, and this is, again, part of it is just that bias training, which also has to be done with care. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but it's really about helping people have an internal awareness that stereotypes are natural, they're part of our human condition, that we will create them because of our social upbringing, and that what we want to make sure we do, especially, let's say, just in business, if not in private life, but in business, is to make sure that we are going to be doing the best for my company. And if a mindset or a hubris or a you know a, a mental framework is going to stay in the way from me keeping, hiring, um, promoting the best talent, I should challenge myself. And so what I do in my work is help people understand the, the, the consequences of not looking at biases from a business perspective. And then we show them what are the tools that you can uh, think about, there's so many, that allow you to stretch into that place of wanting to have a dialogue with you. So it, the, the topic here or the issue here is it, it create, it, it's not something that can be done massively, right? We need to get the, uh, yeah. the top management and then have that top management ripple it down. Okay, great. Then um, we're going to take a little bit break now, and I'd like to revisit that subject after we come back. So we're in. We're talking with Elizabeth Rodriguez Dennehy, and we're going to take a short break. Voice America Business Network: The Bottom Line in Business. If you want to hone the right skills to become a CEO or stay there as a competitive strategic leader, check out CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. You'll learn the tips to success and hear from the experts who are at the top of their games. You'll make your company stand out from the competition and build your own reputation in the process. Top executives are made, not born. So take charge of your future growth. Listen for CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, the Voice America's exciting new series on the Business Network. In this series, we will look at the future of leadership in today's constantly changing global economy. I am your host, Kimberly Lewis, a seasoned executive and diversity leadership expert. And today, we're talking about why diversity matters. Today, we're talking with Elizabeth Rodriguez Dennehy, author of Can You Afford to Ignore Me? How to Manage Gender and Cultural Differences at Work. So, Elizabeth, um, before we took the break, we were we were talking about affirmative action and we were talking about compliances. Mm-hmm. So, I, I would just I would like to just stay on that subject for a couple minutes, um, yep. because because you were talking about unconscious bias, and my question mm-hmm. was was can we actually teach people inclusion, or do we have to have things like affirmative action to mm-hmm. push that envelope? Mm-hmm. Well, well, so the, the answer is we need both and also more education. So we need compliance to push the envelope, right? We need compliance to create a bar in which what are things that are not acceptable? We didn't have anything before, right? So anything went. For right now, we have a, a bare minimum. Now, that's one piece that is that it has been very, very useful. You know, here in the U.S., we had an African-American president, right? And part of that, the, the, his presence in a presidency was, was the reality that, that there were opening doors, there were more opportunities. So that's a good thing. Now, inclusion, which is what everybody's trying to get into, is, like I said, a process that allows two things to happen. Go back into the individual, help the individual understand that we are all human beings with all of our stereotypes and our biases. That's, that's the beginning. A lot of people are saying we, we, we have to speak in this corporate world this, with, with sameness. We can't talk about diversity. And the irony is that it should be reversed. It should be let's talk about why we're different. Let's talk about why is it that being different is good. So inclusion has to do with education. It has to do with my behavior as a leader. What do I tell people by my deeds? what I believe in. It's fascinating to see the power uh, CEOs and top managers have on this conversation. Again, because you are my, you know, you're you're my go-to person. You are the person that I, I, I sort of create a context around how am I supposed to behave? And so when you have top management committed the, the capacity to create an environment that's more inclusive is higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot, that might, makes a really lot of sense. And, um, and I wish that we could get some of this organic movement in organizations, but I still really believe that we, we have to have some kind of compliances. And oh, I, I just want to yeah, and I want to stay Absolutely. stay with affirmative action for a minute, okay? And um, and I, when I look at things today, I mean, it did help us get some African American workers into the workplaces who were not being denied workplaces quite a few years ago. And when I look at the work, when I work at the work, social workforce today, then it did push the envelope, okay? Um, mm-hmm. But there was also a lot of upheaval about it. So, I mean, what, what's, the, what's the positive and negatives around that? Like you said, so here it's, 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 again, when we're living that right now, right, 
that current and countercurrent, right? So what we're living right now is an environment in which it's almost like we know better, right? We've received all this information and we've been receiving and being exposed to all this type of, of, of data. But at the same time, again, we have that place in which we go into in which, well, it's not broken. At the end of the day, I'd rather work with people I, that I get, that I know me. And so that, that tension is very pervasive. I agree 100% with you that affirmative action, that, that something that has to do with we have to is critical. But, but again, if we want to get to that place in which we want to start to reconcile the two trends that you just described, we need to start to say, how do I bring these two things into the, into the environment and make them more, more um, seamless? As a manager, you have tools. This is not an um, impossible problem to solve. Ironically, once we address, and this is a beautiful experience I've had, when we address this process and we're done with our maybe two days program or a whole week or whatever they are, what happens in the room is, is incredible. I'll, I'll give you a very quick for instance. I was finishing up a program. Uh, we had executives from all parts of the world. And one of the things that the Latin group, they, we had two wonderful Mexican uh, women engineers, we're talking about is the way that they express themselves and how, you know, you kiss in the cheek when you see each other. Europeans do the same. And for Americans, that's really a hard thing. When we were wrapping up and finishing up, one of the um, persons, as executives from the U.S., walked over when they were leaving, gave each one of them a hug and a kiss in the cheek. And everybody was so celebratory, right? Because in two days, right, he, he sort of got the fact that this is, for you, it could even be sexual harassment. And for us, it's a welcoming gesture that we are, you know, we're friends. So these things do happen. Yeah, and I think that that's the point of this global economy now. Um, things are changing. We have to be aware of what's going on. We have to become more culturally sensitive as we try to move inclusion into the workplace. And I'd like to like to touch upon something that Europe's doing, and our, many of our listeners probably don't know about this, but you and I do, that the European Union has a European Union directive mm -hmm. that now says that there has to be gender equality on all publicly owned boards in Europe by European companies by 2020. Now, gender equality in this case obviously means 40% women. Now, this, this is a directive, so it's been trickled down to the member states in Europe, and each member state has either made their own directive or put in legislation. And I'm looking recently, just on March 6, Germany, who was very, very slow on this, Germany finally put in legislation that said women should occupy 30% of the board seats in Germany. So I'd like to, I think this is a great move. I'm a pro yeah. quota person, okay? And I would like to know what you think about this and what your experience has been. You know, I I was very pleased to see, and, and again, if you think of all of these trends, they originate in Europe faster than the U.S. We're so far behind. Um, and so, obviously, progressive, extremely timely, 
and very strategic. The, the what we are what have seen, and I, I tell you, I was in Luxembourg and I um, had the opportunity to be with a group from different parts of the of the European Union. And when I mentioned the fact that the quota was a favorable, like we just discussed, the affirmative action that, that we have to. Half of the room was not really happy with me because the women were saying, we want to be promoted for our competency. We want to be promoted because of what we do, who we are, and not for, because of a quota. Because there is this, this uh, wrong mindset about what this affirmative action scenario is implying, right? We have to create an environment in which we push that envelope to get then the opportunity for people to be part of this. Women. Now, one of the things that I've read, and I don't know if you've read about this as well, is that the fact that women have not been prepared at enough volume and with enough capacity to be part of boards. So, so even though there there is that happening, uh, some of the appointments made in Europe have been about you know wives or people that are uh, known to some of the other members, women in this case. And so what there, some people are saying is, is this really what we were looking for? And obviously what we want is a, is a, is a creme of the creme. So I think it's a perfect um, first step. And watch, let's watch the countries and let's watch the companies who take on this initiative and let's see how they perform. Right. And, and, and I think you're absolutely right. And that's, that's the danger behind any kind of quota is um, companies in Europe and the companies that I work with, I see people are starting to get nervous because it's 2020. Now, this started in 2015. As we get closer to 2020, then they're scrambling around saying, okay, how many women do we have there in the workplace and who can we put in? So there Uh are those things happening, just like that happened with affirmative action quite a few years ago, that people are being placed that are probably unqualified. But, you know, that's... That's maybe 10 or 15%. I think the biggest part they're facing is how do they prepare the women? Uh-huh. And, and, how, and do women want to do that? And that's uh-huh. the conversation I have in Europe yeah. a lot. And I'm wondering what kind of conversations you have. Absolutely the same. Actually, here in Pittsburgh, I belong to a group of, of women who are preparing women for boards. And I volunteered to the, with this group to get pe- women to be prepared and and feel that they can throw the hat and they can participate. And um, it, it's, again, one of those scenarios in which you and I and everybody who cares about this is to be really very um, consistent and help women see the opportunity. A lot of women, one of the things I, that I always hear is, I, I, I don't want to be part of that because I don't want to be like them. And one of the things I tell them is precisely because you're not them, it's because we want you there, right? And so you, your style your way of doing things, your perspective. So we need to prepare more women for um, boards. We need them so that they can create environments that will help other women in the organization be promotable. And so one thing is linked to the other. And so we need to just move forward and keep doing the best we can to create a massive um, mindset that allows you know, the many to say, I, I, I want to be part of it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to contribute. Right. Do, do you think, do you think that the 
the role changes in in women and men in the household are are supporting this, or do you think that's it really doesn't matter? I mean, you don't see any any impact at all on on that because I'm hearing the same thing here. I'm hearing, well, I don't want to be part of them, but I'm not so sure. Maybe it takes up too much time or I don't have the support at home. And one thing I can say about Europe is there are infrastructures to help that. There there are daycares, there are other infrastructures. And I'm just wondering what what are you hearing in the United States? Um I think the so there's one thing that's very interesting, and that is the the paradigm in the younger population that yeah, talk the that sort of is expressing a desire to be more participatory. So this is also a generational thing. Um, the 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 young men and women are really looking at this moment and saying we're partners, we are um, together in this, and we have to both uh, be involved. So I'm seeing a lot of that with the younger, very younger, more, you know, 30-ish professional. I think the older professional continues to have, obviously, their own paradigm. So um, that's something we just, again, need to to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think I think you're right. I think it's something that we have to watch. Um, if you're looking, if you're looking in Europe and you're looking at uh, the countries like Norway, um, Denmark, Finland, Spain, France, Holland, who've had quotas, you do see that it has pushed the envelope quite a mm-hmm. bit, and you see, you see, uh, almost in in some places like Norway, up to forty percent. Um, gender quota on boards. So I would suggest that is something we'd look at. But uh, legislation aside, um, I'd like to to hear what you give our audience for a few takeaways, okay, for our listeners um, about inclusion, um, diversity, uh, action points that they can take away today for leaders, for middle managers, and for employees? I'll be happy to. I call that a, a, a toolkit um, a list. Actually, I just returned from Brazil three months ago, and it's part of what I shared with the with the group. So here's for the leadership. Those are the CEOs and the senior VPs. They have, they have, they have to commit to having a constant dialogue behind this issue as a strategic conversation. It's about we're all in this together, they have to lead by example. It it doesn't work if the top is not really fully engaged. They have to see their role as a part, a partnership, part of the solution. A lot of CEOs put this in the hands of the HR groups, and that's incorrect. Leaders need to see HR and other business units as a partner. And, and a lot of promotion, you know, uh, of, of training and educating other people, senior VPs, and, 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 and challenging HR to provide those type of trainings. For managers, one of the most important things that I've um, seen that works is there's a twofold, making the manager accountable, accountable for the recruitment of diverse talent. So, uh, tying that with compensation 
And so at the end of the year, how many people were you able to attract and, and retain? So that's one model that's being used. For managers to create a conversation I mentioned at the beginning of the program by which, you know, open up and have a discussion, conversation, and dialogue. Mentor, provoke mentoring and coaching opportunities so that people can really have an opportunity to model the best way and promote what we call reversed uh, mentoring. Provoke environments in which the younger teach the older, the women teach the men. And the last but not least is for women. In particular, we need to continue to ask. And we also need to make sure that we continue forward um, with our commitment to be good professionals as well as good mothers. It's, It's an internal dialogue that we need to keep. Well, thank you. With those last tips, I would like to thank you, Elizabeth, for it was such a great pleasure to have you here. And pleasure for those was mine. Yeah. And for those of you interested in getting in touch with Elizabeth, you can reach her at erodriguezd at comcast.net or on her website for Rodriguez and Associates, LLC. Elizabeth is available for a range of services from consulting to motivational speaking. And once again, thank you. Thank you. Now, now I'd like to wrap this episode up with an appeal to leaders and aspiring leaders. You heard what Elizabeth said. The fish really stinks from the head. So if you're a leader, you can't just give lip service to diversity. You have to engage in it. And normally, diversity is delegated, as you said, down to human resources, and it's lost somewhere in the cascade downward. And the purpose is lost, and it becomes administrative tasks. But we have to stop doing this if we want to promote real inclusion. But it's not just up to the leaders. It's also up to all of us to do this. We're all responsible for our own path. So build a strategy, educate yourself, ask for training, and make sure you expose yourself. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about our upcoming episodes because in our upcoming episodes, we're going to have some conversations on business subjects, some conversations that um, may have a lot of discrepancy with them. We'll explore leadership trends in the future. And if you'd like to contact me, your host, Kimberly Lewis, please send me an email at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or visit my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. Now, I'd like to dangle the banana a little bit and tell you what is coming up next. Our next program, we're going to take a take the subject diversity a little bit further, and we're going to talk about who makes a better manager, a man or a woman. Our guest will be Dr. John Gray, lecturer and author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time, Men Are from Mars and Women Are from Venuses. His most recent book, Beyond Mars and Venus, Relationship Skills for Today's Complex World, talks about the changing roles of men and women in today's world, and we're going to talk to him about how these changing roles may influence the leadership styles of men and women. So tune in to us next week, Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, or you can listen to us anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. So stay tuned in to us for next week for another exciting show. See you next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, or you can listen to us anytime on the Voice America Business Network. Have a great week, and remember, inclusivity is my word of the week. Thank 
you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.